And I love in Esther chapter 6, where we find ourselves tonight, that we see that Esther demonstrated a courageous faith as she stepped out to go before the king to plead and to intercede for the nation of Israel, for the Jewish people. You see what she did there? She, she stepped out in faith. She utilized faith and she stepped out courageously in faith to see what God would do on the behalf of the nation of Israel to the Jewish people. I was driving to church today and I was talking to a pastor and he encouraged me on my way to church tonight and he said, Art, just take steps of faith for Christ's sake. He said, no, literally, I mean it. For Christ's sake, take a step of faith. And I've titled the message that tonight. For Christ's sake. What will you do for Christ's sake? What will you do today for Christ's sake? For the sake of Christ, what will you do? Because we know that when we are about Christ's sake, we're willing to step out in faith to see what God will do. And that's exactly what Esther did. She demonstrated faith. And we see God's master plan working behind the scenes. And how many of you guys know that God's master plan is full of surprises? God's master plan is so full of surprises in your life as well. And we see that as she finds out that now this evil official Haman was going to the king and now uh, influenced the king to write this decree that could not be changed. So that the Jewish people would be killed because one man, Mordecai, decided to not bend the knee or to not fear or tremble against this man that historically had been a man that was against the Jewish people. So now Haman decided because of Mordecai that he does not bow to me, because of Mordecai that he does not now worship me or respect me. Now all the Jewish people are going to suffer. But then the Lord raises up Esther. And Esther goes before the king, and the king says, what do you want? She says, I'm just going to make a banquet. She makes this banquet. She invites Haman, and she invites the king. And Haman is so overly confident because he believes he's a favorite sitting in the presence of the king and of the queen. And he becomes overconfident. Do you know that the only safe place for your confidence is when your confidence is in the Lord? The only safe place to put your confidence is in the Lord. Sometimes you put your confidence in yourself and you become overly confident of what you think you can accomplish and that's a very dangerous place to be in. Haman was in this place. The only safe place to put your confidence today and moving forward is grab that confidence that you have and put it in the Lord. Because do not let you, you can easily become like Haman and allow your pride to lead you into a very dangerous place. It's been said that pride is the ground in which all sins grow. That's where pride is. It's the ground in where other sins grow. And it's the parent from which other sins come. Pride is the, the place or the ground in which other sins grow. And it's the parent from where other sins come from. It's pride. It starts there. It starts in pride. And we know Haman had a hidden agenda to come and to kill all the Jews. But the Bible tells us, even from the Old Testament in Numbers 20, 32, 23, be sure that your sin will find you out. You can't hide your sin. And I love this that we learn from Haman that his sin is exposed. Now, 
our sin, our secret sin, we're doing something behind the scenes that does not honor God. Be sure God is in control. You can't hide it from God. Your sin will find you out. Proverbs chapter 5, verse 21 and 23 says, For the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord. God knows what's taking place behind the scenes. And he ponders all the past, his own iniquities, and trap the wicked man. As he is caught in the cords of his sin, he shall die for lack of instruction. And in the greatness of his fully, he shall go astray. Do you see how your pride or your overconfidence can lead to sin? Which eventually becomes self-destructive. And here we see that Haman's sin became self-destructive as it is exposed now. And we're going to see something take place in chapter 6 and 7. Because you start to really see now, it starts to unfold now, how God is working out His purposes, whether the king knows it or he doesn't know it. Whether the king can see it or he can't see it, God is still working out His purposes. And even in your life today, whether you can see it or you can't see it, God is working His purposes. Whether you know it or you don't know it, God is working out His purposes. So now here, Haman is going back home completely now puffed up because he got invited to this exclusive banquet with the king and the queen. He passes by Mordecai. He sees that Mordecai did not tremble or sweat or bow down to him. So now with more of a reason, he wants to kill Mordecai and the Jews. But something happens that night. And know this, that God, for God, there is no night. For God, there's no day. For God, there's no month. For God, there's no year. For God, there's no past. For God, there's no present or future. Some theologians and Bible teachers and people that have studied the Bible, they've come up with this word that they say, this is, has everything to do with God's transcendence. You know what that word transcendence means? The transcendence of God is found in this book. God's transcendence. He transcends the past, the present, the future. That means that when God looks at time, He sees at eternity all at once. And He is in control. He's in control of the past, the present, the future. He sees it all at once. He transcends all of that, right? And because of that, we know automatically that for God, there's no coincidence. For the Christian, there's no coincidence. For the Christian, there's no luck. That's why for us, we should never say, you know what, that was good luck or, or that was a coincidence. For, for, for Christians, there is no luck. There's no coincidence. Take that out of your vocabulary and know that God is behind it and He's in control. And there are going to be subtle changes that are sudden in our life. And we know, you know what, this is God working behind the scenes. That's why me and you have to become very sensitive to God's interventions every day. Has God ever done an intervention in your life? Be sensitive to that intervention every day. Lord, you stepped into my day. You interrupted my day and my schedule. Thank you, Lord. I want to become sensitive to your interventions every single day. You'd be amazed at what God does when you become sensitive. You say, Lord, here's my open schedule. I want you to fill it. Because there are going to be times where God is speaking loud and clear, but there's also times where God is silent. And those moments when God is silent in your life are just as significant as when He's speaking to you. They're just as significant. Sometimes we think, well, I can't hear God loud and clear, so it's not a significant time in my spiritual walk. The times of silence are just as significant as the time is when He's speaking, because that's when we must have ears of faith. Ears of faith to listen to the voice of God. Ears of faith to listen to the voice of God. 
Now in chapter 6, you're going to see the providence of God in action. The movement of God in action. God makes some moves, and it's so amazing to see the moves that He makes. The moves that He makes sometimes surprise you, but you understand they're according to His plan because He is transcendent. He's looking beyond something that you cannot see. That is the transcendence of God. Esther chapter 6 verse 1 says this, the night, That night the king could not sleep after that banquet. So one was commanded to bring the book of the records of the chronicles that they were read before the king. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, we thank you, God. Because your providence is in action. Because your providence, Lord, is moving a purpose beyond what we can see and understand, Lord. You have no time, Lord. You're, you're outside of time. You're eternal, God. And you see things that we cannot see, Lord. And you're moving things right now that are going to play out for a future that where you get the glory, God. And I pray, Lord, that we would be sensitive to the interventions of where you step into our life every single day. That we would slow down to let you step in and interrupt our schedule. In Jesus' name we pray and together we said, Amen. It says this, that night the king could not sleep. Is it, does it, is it a coincidence that the king could not sleep that night? Or is it that God wanted to just speak with him or God wanted to move these different puzzles and pieces within the story of the book of Esther because the king could not sleep and you see that God was moving behind the scenes. So what does the king do? He says, you know what? Bring me the book of the chronicles or of the history so someone can read to me tonight while I cannot sleep. Understand that when really we can't sleep or something's taking place, God is for some reason wanting to speak to us. It's amazing that you see here because this is God's master plan every step of the way. You see it here. This unmistakably is pointing to God. Now, there's no other way where you can explain this. This has to be the sovereignty of God, His, His hand controlling these events. Have you ever wondered, like, there's no way this could happen. This has to be God. What are the chances of that the king could not sleep that night so they brought him the records of the chronicles of the book, and they were read before the king. Now think about this. He starts to read history. But look at the chances of where they open up for him to read. It says, And it was found written that Mordecai had told of Bigthana and Teresh, the two of the king's Enochs, the doorkeepers, who had sought to lay hands on the king Ahasuerus. Do you remember in previous chapters that two men wanted to kill the king? And Mordecai was the man that saved the king's life. Now what are the chances that they happened to open up to the records that would lead us back to the events that took place a few years back so that the king was being read? The story of where Mordecai now, this Jewish man, saved the king's life by giving this information that two men in his kingdom wanted to come against him. Now it says that they were telling and reading to him that night. And the king, verse 6, said, What honor or dignity has been bestowed on Mordecai? What, what, what did we give Mordecai? How did we honor him? How did we reward him for saving my life? What is it that we did for Mordecai for this? And the king's servant who had attended him said, Nothing has been done for him. Now think about Mordecai. He saved the king's life. And nothing was rewarded against him. Why? Because God was prolonging His reward for His own purpose. 
Sometimes we think, Lord, I'm doing all this. I'm being so faithful to you. God, where is now the, the blessing that's coming? But God prolongs now the reward for his own purpose. Because God is in charge of his schedules. Sometimes we think, Lord, I want my reward now. I want you to look at me right now. I want you to bless me right now. But God is in charge of schedules. And he purposely did not allow Mordecai to get this reward at that time because he wanted to wait for his own purpose. He had a day, a specific day, where Mordecai would be honored. It's been said before, God's delays are not God's denials. Just because God is delaying it today doesn't mean he has denied it forever. And sometimes we think, Lord, we want it now. We want the reward now. We want the honor now. We want the dignity now. We want you to restore now. And God's saying, no, I'm pushing that back for a specific reason because I have a plan in mind. And that's exactly why he pushed the honor and the reward back. Do you know that God is not unjust to forget your labor of love as we read before in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10? He's not unjust. God's not unfair that he's going to say, I, I know you've been faithful. Not God is not unjust to forget your labor of love in which you have shown toward his saints. He will reward that, except he'll do it when he wants to do it. And now God steps in here and he does the unexpected. I love that when God steps in, he doesn't do the expected Every time God steps in your life, He's going to do the unexpected. When nobody seems to notice, God will notice. When nobody seems to remember, God will record. He cares. He notices. And He noticed that Mordecai, here, mark it down, understand this, please, as you read it today, that God notices when nobody else remembers. God records as well. That's exactly why David the psalmist in Psalms 31, he was able to say, My times are in your hand. You know what David was saying? He knew that God was in control. So he's saying, my future is in your hand. I've seen a lot of people freak out a lot about their future. When you remember that you're in God's will, you can say, Lord, my future is in your hand. My times are in your hand. And the times of Mordecai was in the hands of God. And your times are in the hand of God. And that's what we see here, that now God surfaces now this event of what Mordecai did. And he prolongs it. Because God's delays are not God's denials. And we see here what happened. So the king said, who is in the court? How is it that we're going to find out how we're going to reward Mordecai for what he's done? He says, who's in the court right now? Is anybody there? Now Haman had just entered the outer court of the king's palace to suggest that the king hang Mordecai on the gallows that he had prepared for him. So here comes Haman saying, you know what? I'm going to go and tell the king that we're going to hang Mordecai today. And he comes right at the time when the king is thinking, how can I reward Mordecai? Haman is coming, how can I kill Mordecai? Well, isn't that interesting how when the Lord wants to bless you, there's opposition. And when God says, I want to bless you, the enemy is saying, how can I go and kill him? But look what the, what the king does because God is in charge here. And the king's servant said to him, Haman is in there standing in the court. And the king said, let him come in. Call Haman to come in because we're going to find out how we can reward Haman. How, how we can reward Mordecai. Isn't that amazing? When the world wants to come against you, and the Lord says, you know what? I'm actually going to use the world that's coming against you only to promote you now, only to bless you. So Haman came in, and the king asked him, what shall be done for the man? He doesn't say a name. But what should I do to a man, Haman, whom the king delights to honor? I want to honor someone. What, what can I do, Haman? Now Haman thought in his heart, this is where now he, Haman is so full of himself. Haman's all, oh, the king loves me. He just invited me to have dinner with him and his wife. He's saying, well, what can he do to honor a man? He's talking about me. 
Why, you know why he thought this? Because he was arrogant. He thought in his heart that the king was talking about him. And he says here, look, whom would the king delight to honor more than me? Have you ever thought that? That you're just, oh, it has to be me. You know what? They're about to give an award and they're talking with this person. You know, you just, yeah, man, you're getting ready to stand up. Because they have to be talking about you. And you find out, wait, it wasn't me. <laughs> well, here Haman was so arrogant that he thought that they were talking about himself. That was the pride. Remember, pride is the ground where other sins grow. It's the parent from where other sins come from. Do you see here how Mordecai was so full of himself? You know what selfishness does? It blinds you to think that everything is you. And Haman thought here, no, the, the king is going to, for sure, he wants to reward me. Who does the king love? Not love more than he loves me. So look what he says. So Haman answered, he's going to give the best answer because he wants royalty. So Haman said, verse 7, answered the king, For the man whom the king delights to honor, let a royal robe be brought, which the king had worn. Give him the best royal robe. And a horse on which the king has ridden, which the, has a royal crest placed on his head. Think about this now. Now a horse with a, rail, a royal crest placed on the head. Then let his robe and the horse be delivered to the hand of one of the king's most noble princes. Now give now this horse now and this robe to the most noble princess, that he may array the man whom the king delights to honor, so that he can place it on the, this man. Then parade, think about Haman here, him on a horseback through the city square and proclaim before him. Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Now make a big parade now for this person. Give him, your, give him your robe, give him your horse, and have the official now walk him in a parade throughout the entire city so everyone knows this is an example of what, God, of what the king will do to someone he wants to honor now. Then the king said to Haman, look what this is amazing, because God will work behind the scenes and he will use even those that are coming against you only to bless you. You think that, do you remember in Joseph's story when his brother sold him and Joseph said, what, what you intended for evil, God intended for good. Because God's purposes are eternal. Remember that tonight. God's purposes are eternal. That means that sometimes you can't see his purposes. Here Haman, an unbeliever, was used as a way of opening a door for Mordecai to be now exalted now in the presence of the king. Psalms 23, what did David say? You prepare a place for me in the presence of my enemies. That's amazing here. God uses his enemies just to raise him up. God will use whoever he wants. God will use whoever he wants. The Psalms 33 verse 10 says, The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. And he makes the plans of the people to no effect. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. And his plans of his, great are, of his heart are to all generations. It's God's plans that stand, not man's plans. Haman here had his own plans, but God had plans that were much bigger. So the king said of verse 10, Hurry, take the robe and the horse as you suggested, and do so to Mordecai, the Jew who sits within the king's gate. Leave nothing undone of all that you have spoken. Think about how Haman thought now. Are you kidding me? Mordecai, the man that I just came in here to say that we should hang and that we should kill? Now he's going to receive all the honor that I just spoke about. And he said, the king said, leave nothing undone of all that you had spoken. I love that God's promises are so sure. And he leaves nothing undone 
of what He has promised in our life. Isn't that the king, kind of king that we serve? He believes in nothing undone. You see, here Mordecai thought that nothing was taking place in his life. He thought that God seemed absent, but God was always present. I want you to know that when God seems absent, He is present. Even when you think He's absent, He's present. Even when you think He's absent, He's present. There's a story of an only survivor of a shipwreck that was washed up on a small, uninhabited island. And as it was shipwrecked, he prayed fervently, this man that was shipwrecked, to God to rescue him every single day. God, rescue me every single day. And he scanned the horizon now for help, but nobody seemed to be coming now for him. Exhausted, this man, he eventually managed to build this little hut for himself out of the little leaves and branches to protect him from the elements of the island and also to store his small possessions and few belongings that he actually had. But then one day, after scavenging and going into looking for food, he arrived and he found that his little hut was in flames. He found his little hut was in flames and, and the smoke was rolling up to the sky. He was now very frantic. He tried to put the, the fire out, but he couldn't do it. The worst thing of all, that all his things were lost and it stung him with a lot of grief and anger. God, how could you do this to me? He cried out. How can you do this to me, God? He cried out. Early the next morning after he woke up from laying on the ashes of what used to be his home and his possessions, he woke up by the sound of a ship that was approaching the island. It had come to rescue him. And then he heard the steps of a man who was the captain that said this, Hey, we saw your smoke signal and we've come to rescue you. They replied to him, it was the smoke signal of his little hut that was burning. You see, it's easy to get discouraged when things are going bad. But we shouldn't lose heart. Because God is at work in our lives even in the midst of pain and suffering. Why is it that this man, everything had to be destroyed so that he can be discovered? You see, Mordecai here, he was left in the shadows. But it didn't mean that God wasn't present. Right? It didn't mean that God was not present here. And in verse 10 of chapter 6, it says, And the king said to Haman, Hurry up and do everything that you've suggested, right? Leave nothing undone. So Haman took the robe and the horse array to Mordecai. Think about how humiliated he felt. And led him on a horseback through the city square and proclaimed before him, Thus it shall be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. And he felt so humiliated and humbled probably. He had already built these long poles to hang Mordecai. And now he's honoring them in the presence and in a parade because that's the way that God works behind the scenes. You see what's happening here? Afterward though, Mordecai went back to the king's gate. I want you to underline that part. But Haman hurried to his house mourning with his heart, head covered. He was humiliated, Haman. He was humiliated at what he had to do because he was bragging about how he was going to kill Mordecai. But now... God decided to exalt and rise up, raise him up, Mordecai. But what does it say about Mordecai in verse 12? He went back to the king's gate. Here's a man with the robe. Here's a man with the horse. Here's a man with the parade. And you know what he does after that? He stays humble and he goes back to the king's gate to continue serving at the gate of the king. You know why? Because applause did not change this man. How many times do you see that the Lord raises us up 
and that applause changes us. See, applause doesn't change truly humble people like Mordecai here. His value was much deeper than this. And, and, and really, God can trust His blessings and God can trust His promotions to those that are not going to be changed and only seek for the honor for God. Mordecai, it says here in verse 11, that he went right back to the king's now gate and continued serving the king in verse 12. But Haman told his wife, Zeresh, and all his friends everything that had happened to him. His wise man his, and his wife, Zeresh, said to him, If Mordecai... Before whom you have begun to fall is of a Jewish descent, you will not prevail against him. He said, you, you don't stand a chance against this Mordecai man. Because they understood it. What is it? Is this the same man you wanted to kill now? Is the one that the king has honored? While they were still talking with him, the king's eunuch came and hastened to bring Haman to the banquet which Esther had prepared. This is the second banquet that Esther had prepared. But understand this. These are warning signals for Haman. And when God sends you a warning single, or He sounds an alarm now, and He wants to humble you, He wants to humble us, it's time to pray and to stop and to listen, to look and to listen, so that we can obey Him. You know what Haman's future could have changed right here at this moment? If he had humbled himself? You know, because God's long-suffering in our lives, God's long-suffering in your life and our lives, it's, it's not an opportunity for us to sin, but it's an opportunity for us to repent. Sometimes we think nothing's happening, so I'm okay, I can get away with it. You can't get away with it. You'll never get away with it. God loves you too much. He is too just to let anyone get away with it. This was Haman's opportunity to repent. He gets invited back to the banquet after being humbled. But guess what? He doesn't learn the lesson. When you get humbled by the Lord, you better learn the lesson. Because then it's going to cost you more. And I'll tell you this, it's better that you humble yourself than if God has to humble you. That's exactly why we need to humble ourselves before the presence of the king. Think about what happens now in chapter 7, because this is the second banquet. This is where Esther now literally opens her mouth now to stand now for the nation and the, uh, of Israel, for the Jewish people, to preserve this nation. This is God's plan. This is the plan of redemption. So the king said, the king... So the king and Haman went to dine with Queen Esther. And the second day of the banquet of the wine, the king again said to Esther, What is your petition, queen? Why have you come? What is it that you're requesting now? It shall be granted to you. And what is your request? Of to half the kingdom, it shall be done. Ask already, Esther. And she says, Then the queen Esther answered and said, If I have found favor in your sight, again, if I have found grace in your sight, O king, and if it pleases the king, let my life, Look at what she says it. She waits tactfully. She's, and, uh, one of the things you have to know about Esther that she has such a tactful leadership to her that she's so wise that she doesn't start to blame and point fingers. She, well, you know what she starts? She says, King, if I have found favor, let my life be given me my petition and my people at my request. Now the, the king is going to say, well, what do you mean your life is in danger and your people? She had not told anyone that she was Jewish. Up until this point now, she finally waits for the opportune time. How many times do we want to blab out something before it's time? When is it, you know, when it's time for me to say it now. And Esther, you know, you know what she did? She remained silent until God said, it's time for you to tell them that you're Jewish. It, it, it's so important that we learn timing, that we learn God's timing. And then we let God's timing 
direct the way we talk as well? They say, I'm not going to speak until it's God's timing. You see, she did not speak until it was God's timing. And it says this in verse 4, For we have been sold, my people and I, to be destroyed, to be killed, and to be annihilated. Not only have we been sold now, now we're going to be killed. And she's really painting the picture that the queen's life is in danger and all her people. And it says here now, had we been sold as male and female slaves only, if it, would, if it was only that we were sold, I would have never held my t- I would have held my tongue, although the enemy could never compensate for the, the king's loss. If we were just being sold, you know what, I wouldn't even bother you, king. However, that's not the case. The case is that our lives are in danger. My life is in danger now. So King Isaiah answered and said to the queen, who is he and where is he who would dare to presume in his heart to do such a thing? Who is it that would dare to put your life, queen, in danger? The king didn't even know what was happening. Who will dare to do this unbelievable act to kill you and all the Jewish people? Because if it was a Jewish man that saved the king's life, why would the king want to kill the Jewish people? See, the king didn't know what was taking place. And Esther said the adversary, an enemy, is this wicked Haman. Look, she finally exposes him. Haman, so Haman was terrified before the king and queen, verse 6. It's this man right here. And he starts to become terrified because he's saying, it's this fierce enemy that, is, that, that now is the one that's coming against us. And the king arose in wrath from the banquet wine and he left, he went into the palace garden. But Haman stood before the queen Esther. This man just walked out. He was so upset, this king. But Haman stood before the queen Esther pleading for his life. He was begging for his life to her for he saw the evil that was determined against him by the king. He knew that he was in big trouble now. That he couldn't play this little secret agenda behind the scenes. And you know what happens now in verse 8? When the king returned from the palace garden to the place of the bank of wine, Haman had fallen across the couch where Esther was. Esther was sitting on this couch. He comes back in the room. That's his wife. And he sees this man laying on the couch almost begging her. And now he, he has a, a, just an awful picture in his mind of what's taking place here. And the king said, will he also assault the queen while I'm in the house? Not only do you want to kill him, now you want to assault now the queen while I'm here. And as the word left the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face to his doom. And now Herbona, one of the eunuchs, said to the king, Look, the gallows, 50 cubits high, which Haman had made for Mordecai, those same poles that he made to destroy Mordecai, who spoke good on the king's behalf, is standing at the house of Haman. Then the king said, Hang him on it. Isn't that crazy that the own trap that he had laid out for Mordecai is a trap that he himself was destroyed in? That pride that you want to set up to destroy others is the very same pride that will be self-destructive in your own life. Sometimes we think we're coming against these people, we're going to get even. Guess what? You're not. And it's that very same pride that's motivating you to get even. It's the same pride that's going to self-destruct you every single day. And it says, so they hung Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. And the king's wrath subsided. Then after that, the king was no longer as angry as he was at one time. Esther chapter 8, now she goes, she's not done yet. I love Esther that she's not done yet. Just because Haman is dead doesn't mean that she's done. 
Just because you see one little victory doesn't mean that you settle and you get comfortable because the person or that place or that, 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 that thing in your life that was constantly uh, working against the spirit that was a symbolic of the flesh has now been eliminated that you can get comfortable. Absolutely not. Esther is just such an example here because she's not done. She's going to work still for the people, for the Jewish people. On that day, King Ahasuerus gave Queen Esther the house of Haman, the enemy of the Jews here. So she gave him his house of Haman who had it killed. And Mordecai came before the king for Esther had told how he was related to her. Now Esther says, hey, he's actually my cousin. After all, not only am I Jewish, but he's my cousin. So now Mordecai gets here promoted. You see the Lord, how he's doing this? And now he gets promoted. So the king took off his signet ring, which he had take, given, taken to Haman, and he gave it to Mordecai, Esther's uh, and Esther appointed Mordecai over the house of Haman. Now Mordecai got promoted. He has the king, he, ha he has the ring, and he has the house. He has the horse. He has now the place of honor. And now Esther spoke again and again to the king and fell at his feet, implored and implored him with tears. I want you to underline that, please, in your Bible. You know what she did, Esther? After Haman was dead, she went back to imploring on her knees with tears. This is what the church needs. They needs men and women that would be willing to go to the king's feet, imploring with tears. She was interceding for the people. But she wasn't only interceding for the people anyway. She was interceding at the feet of the king with a broken heart and tears. She is begging. She's imploring now on her knees for this injustice. You know why? Because Esther had a burden for the condemned people that were condemned to death. And this burden was greater than any other burden in her life. What burden do you have right now in your life? Is it for lost people? Or is it a burden for something that you want yourself? Because Esther could have got comfortable. Now Mordecai has the house. He has the ring. He got promoted. She's the queen. Haman is dead. But she goes to intercede. She goes now as an intercessor to the king. How many intercessors do we have in the church that are willing to go into the king? How many intercessors are willing to come to prayer night to go to the king with tears for the people that are lost in the city of Rosemead? For the people that are going to hell? That are dying without a savior? that don't know Jesus yet. You know why Esther was recording in the Bible? Because God used Esther here to be an intercessor for the people and to rescue these people. And, and it's amazing here because she's interceding for the people before the king. It's been said before, one concerned person for prayer is the key that releases the power of God. One concerned person for prayer is the key that releases the power of God. She's interceding, that's releasing the power of God here, saying, it says, with tears to counteract. Prayer counteracts the attacks of the enemy. Prayer counteracts the evil works of Satan. Prayer counteracts the sin and the flesh and, and, and the desires of carnality that are taking place in your life. Prayer counteracts the agenda of the prince of the power of the air. She's going on her knees crying to counteract this evil. You know what the church should do in order to counteract? Go to their knees with tears. To counteract for the sins of the world. To counteract for the sins of the church. To out counteract for, for the lost that don't know Jesus. 
She goes to tears to counteract the evil of Haman, the Agagite, and the scheme which he had devised against the Jews. She's counteracting evil in prayer. Have you counteracted the attacks of the enemy with prayer the way she's doing it? She's truly concerned. She's counteracting. She's fighting against this. And it says this now, And the king held out the golden scepter towards Esther. So Esther arose and stood before the king. She went from now kneeling before the king to standing before the king now. And if it pleases the king, it says, If I have found favor in the sight, if this thing seems right to the king and I am pleasing in his eyes, let it be written to revoke the letters devised by Haman. There's still a letter out there that condemns people. There's still sin that's weighing down on people. There's still this condemnation. The Jewish people are still going to die now. The son of here, Hamedadath, the Agagite, which he wrote to annihilate the Jews who are all in the king's provinces. This is a decree that you sign king that cannot be changed. There's a strong letter that is condemning people. There's a strong law that's condemning people. That's the law of sin. Look what this tells us now. For how can I endure to see the evil that will come to my people? How can I endure? I, I cannot endure this pain. When you see what people are going to, can you endure it? She said, I can't endure to see people lost. I can't endure to see people destroyed. I'm not going to just sit back comfortable while this happens. Can you sit back comfortable while so much evil happens around us? Can you sit back comfortable when you see people that are still lost? She says, I cannot endure this. Or how can I endure to see the destruction of my countrymen? She was, I love how patriotic she becomes here. How can I see my own country be lost? How can I see my own people be lost? She says, I cannot do this. So she goes to prayer now. And the king, Sarah, said to the queen Esther and, and Mordecai, the Jews, indeed I have given Esther the house of Haman, and that they have hanged him on the gallows because he tried to lay his hand on the Jews. You yourself write a decree. Now, I want you to write a decree here, Esther, concerning the Jews, as you please, in the king's name, and seal it with the king's signet ring, for whatever is written in the king's name be sealed with the king's signet ring. No one can revoke it. I want you to now to write another decree, to go against the decree that is already written that will condemn these people. Does that sound familiar when it comes to our eternity? Wasn't there a decree that was sending us to hell that was the law? But Jesus came to draw and to write a much stronger decree, a new covenant that was stronger than the old decree that was sending us to death. And that was the decree of Jesus. I want you to write something stronger than the old decree that was sending people to death. Well, this is amazing how it points and relates all to Jesus. There was an existing law that condemned people to death that could not be changed. The law could not be changed. But now Esther institutes a greater, a stronger decree into effect that made a possible way for salvation now, that gives us now the picture of Christ now and redemption and eternal justice now. There was an injustice taking place that led to a... Now, there was an injustice that led to a justice now because now they were justified by this new decree. Do you see that this is a picture of how we, even me and you, there was a law that could not be changed, but Jesus came to draw us, write a stronger decree and a stronger law that would say this, you know what, they are saved because of me. Now in verse 9 and 10, so the, the king's scribes were called at that time in the third month, which is in the month of Silvan, on the 20th, uh, 
third day, and it was written according to Mordecai's commandments to the Jews, the satraps, the governors, and the princes of the provinces of India to Ethiopia, 127 provinces in all. The same provinces that the original decree was given, now was given a new decree. To every province in his own script, to every people in their own language, to the, to the Jews in their own script and language. Verse 10. And he wrote in the name of the king, Agassara sealed it with the king's signet ring and sent letters by couriers on a horseback riding on royal horses, breed from swift steeds. Oh man, I, this gets me excited now. He said now they, they gave these letters to the, these messengers that were going to be riding on the best horses. They were the fastest horses on the kingdom now. Bred here from swift steeds. The best horse. Have you ever seen horses race? Man, they're the fast. You know why this is so important? Because it speaks about urgency. This letter came to you from Christ in such an urgent matter. What would happen if you were that urgent about telling people about Jesus? And think about what happens here. Verse 11. But these letters, the king permitted the Jews who were in every city to gather together. Think about this. They're going to fight against the enemy. How do you fight against the enemy? Gathering together. How do you run the race? Gathering together. Gathering together. I love this here. To gather together and to protect their lives. You want to protect your spiritual walk? Gather together. The reason why you don't protect your spiritual walk, how, how come there's a lot of anxiety and chaos sometimes, is because we don't gather together. The king said, I want you to gather together and destroy, kill, annihilate all the forces of any people or province that would assault them, both little children, women, and to plunder their possessions. Anything that comes against your children, your women, your possessions, anything that tries to assault you or attack you, gather together and fight against it. Is there not a time where the church needs to gather together and fight together in prayer? I want you to gather together, verse 10 and 11, do not let no one destroy, protect their lives here, it's saying. And in one day, in all the provinces of the king Ahasuerus, on the 30th day of the 12th month, which is the month of Adar, a copy of the document was to be issued as a decree in every province and published for all the people so that the Jews would be ready on the day to avenge themselves on their enemies. Are you ready today? Have you gathered together to see what God wants to do? How God wants to use you to protect your family, to protect your home? The reason why sometimes people are so weak is because they try to be lone rangers and see a victory in your life. Victories don't happen as lone rangers. It happens as you gather together. That's the best protection you can do. And the couriers, verse 14, who rode on royal horses, went out and hastened and pressed on the king's command. Underline hastened and pressed, please. They were so fast. They were so urgent. And the decree was issued in Shushan, the citadel. You know why they were fast? They were fast because they wanted to fulfill this vision. They hastened and pressed. When you look at the vision of the church, of even the church here, of the message of the gospel, are you hastening? Are you pressing with urgency? Do you see the bigger picture? Do you want to get things done? Hastening and pressing. We have things to do. You see, these are Christians that are needed with urgency, with initiative, with excellence. Hastening and pressing here. Urgent. Now about tasks, but urgent about vision. Now in verse 15 it says, So Mordecai went out from the presence of the king in the royal apparel in blue and white, with great crown of gold and of garment of fine linen and purple in the city of Shushan rejoiced 
and was glad. And the Jews had light and gladness, joy, and honor. This is what happens when people gather together. This is what happens when people say, we're going to take steps of faith to be able to advance the kingdom. This is what happens when we have urgency about reaching the lost. This is about what happens when we intercede before the king at the king's feet for the people. You know what happens? That the Jews have light. Does the people have light today? Light, here it says, and gladness, joy, and honor. Let's continue reading verse 17 as we conclude this chapter. In every province and city, wherever the king's command and decree came, the Jews had joy, again, and gladness in a feast and a holiday. Then many of the people of the land became Jews because of the fear of the Jews fell upon them. Man, I see this is victory. There's so few. They see this church so strong that they want to become the church. The people here, they say they, they saw the Jews so strong. They saw there's so much gladness, so much joy, so much honor in the Lord. You know what they said? Now the rest of the people here in the kingdom, let's become Jews. <laughs> and they think about what the world would say. And they saw the church and they said, you know what? We see so much joy. We see so much gladness. We see so much unity. We see so much honor. Let's become just like them. They had so much fear of the Jews that they started to become Jews. This is amazing here. Why? Because we see that God's master plan is working behind the scenes. And even when we think he is absent, he is very much so present. His purposes are eternal. And we must remember that. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for tonight, Lord, as we've gotten to gather, Lord, and to remember, Lord, that your purposes are eternal, God. We ask, Lord, that you would speak to us, Lord, that you would guide us in your way and your will, Lord. And I pray right now for anyone, Lord, that's here. The things, Lord, that maybe you are not working on their behalf, Lord. That we would step, Lord, into your will, Lord, and that we would be intercessors for the lost. Like Esther, we would go, Lord, to your feet, the king. And with tears, say we cannot endure to see people be lost. With tears, go to prayer to counteract the wiles of the devil. To counteract the attacks of the enemy. Lord, move us to tears. Move us to our knees. This is the best way to counteract these attacks from the enemy, Lord. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Together we said.